0: Uh, we are in Psalm 34 today. We've been working through these psalms all summer. Uh, it's been an enjoyable thing, I'll say. Like, uh, it's been really uh, a joy to be, be studying these. Uh, I can't wait to hear John and, and Travis actually a little later get to uh, preach on a few of them. And so anyway, we are in Psalm uh, 34, and the way you get there, if you've got the Bible in front of you, just open up right to the middle. That'll put you in the book of Psalms. They are in order at that point numerically, so just turn left to right so you'll find Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Um, now as we've been going through these one of the things to remember is that often in the psalms um, these are poems Uh, these are written to be very singable and they often even even address the the choir master and they list the instruments that can be used in accompanying with with singing And, and and i mentioned this that that they're poetic because sometimes we actually lose that aspect of it certainly in your in your um, Bible you can see that it's laid out that way but, but some of this poetical form is, is lost and one of the things that is lost in this particular one is that this is an acrostic poem uh, you might notice there are 22 verses in this and the Hebrew alphabet there are 22 letters four less than we have in English and each verse in Psalm 34 begins with the next letter in the, in the Hebrew alphabet and so you've got alphabet, Gimel, Dalet, and, and so on working through there and there's this one exception in verse 6 Um, it doesn't begin with the letter that you might expect it, and I just tell you that so you don't look it up later and wonder why I never mentioned that. Uh, The truth is, there's no real good explanation for why that is. I imagine in eternity, maybe we'll hear some crazy story that explains it, but for the time being, you've got this alphabetical order and one letter that doesn't quite match in there. Uh, So anyway, we're going to start by reading the first three verses, and then we're going to ask God to just um, enlighten our minds, enlighten our hearts, prepare us for this, and, and then we'll read each section as we get to it going forward. So, Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, we have all taken different journeys to arrive here today. Uh, So many different stresses that are in our lives, and yet here we are, and we have gathered here today because You are worthy of praise, and we want to, to meet with each other, and we want to respond to Your call for us to worship You. We thank you for that privilege. God, as we move through these 22 verses of Psalm 22 today, I ask that you would give us focus to hear your word, to understand your word, to believe it, and to live it when we go from here this evening. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So the thing about preaching through the Psalms in no particular order is you just get to pick the ones you love, and that's, that's been really fun. Um, I've enjoyed it anyway, and and I I love this psalm, and and I love all of it, but I especially love uh, verse 8, which you know the title comes from, uh, and also these first three verses, and I love these first three verses, because honestly, they remind me that I don't know God, and and I don't love God the way that I wish was true, Um, and I say that because it begins with David saying this, uh, that he will bless the Lord at all times. And then I think back in my life, and I think that's, that's just not true of my life like I wish it were true of my life. So as we get into this, I, I, a couple of things we need to understand. First, this word bless is a bit obscure to us in the 21st century American language. It's obscure to us because uh, we really, we ask God to do all kinds of things using this word bless. We, uh, we might bless people who sneeze, right? Uh, God bless you. But we have no idea what we're actually asking God to do for this person with his expression. Um, We ask people to, you know, let's bless our food. Uh, In the South, you might hear, oh, bless her heart. And if you're from the North, it might sound like a really kind thing. Uh, If you're from the South, you know it translates to something like, you are a complete idiot. Um, Don't fall for that. Uh, The word bless here, though, as as we're reading in Psalm 34, is is from this Hebrew word, barak. Um, If that sounds familiar, it's because it is exactly like our president's name, barak. Um, Here in Psalm 34, though, this this word means to adore on bended knee. And and so when David, uh, when we read that King David here will bless the Lord at all times, this is not a simple expression of just something, some words. uh, Rather, this is a a much more engaging, much more consuming, uh, humility-driven expression of praise to God. What David is is saying is, then is that he will continue to praise God. And that sounds simple enough. It sounds like a, a real easy thing to do when life is going the way that we expect it to go. It is so easy to praise God when we have good health, when we have great friends, when we have amazing marriage, when we have amazing children, when, when our career is on the upward track the way we want it to go, and we have financial security. The truth is, this is a little tougher when life's not going the way we expect it to go. When life is difficult... And honestly, that's one of the things that I, I love, that uh, right before verse 1, you'll see that there's this, this heading that's written in there. And, and Psalm 34 is one of just 13 psalms, which include this, this header that is telling us what event in the life of David this, this psalm corresponds to. And, and in this case, the event that's going on in David's life is that he's running from King Saul. And he finds himself alone, and he finds himself so desperate that he goes to the city of Gath for safety. Um, and this is absolutely insane because uh, the city of Gath was the home of Goliath. Maybe you've heard the story, David and, and Goliath and how that went. Um, this was the place who had their warrior sent out and David killed their warrior when he was still a boy. And so for him to show up there is, is not the place you want to be. That tells you just how desperate he is at this point. 1 Samuel chapter 21 tells us about the situation, and and we learn that David is completely alone. He is worn out, and it seems that nothing in his life has gone right at this moment. He he knows he's in deep trouble, and in fact, he is so afraid that death is going to come to him uh, that he is brought before um, Achish, who is king of the city, and, and David just pretends to be an absolute insane person. That's, that's his plan. That's all he has to offer up at this point. And so he makes these crazy marks on the gate that are just absolute nonsense. And he begins to speak gibberish. And it even tells us that he drools all over himself. Uh, and so to look like a crazy person. And, and it's absolutely pathetic. And, and yet it works. Um, because King Achish tells his soldiers in First Samuel 21:15, he says, Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And his answer is no, and they they take him and they send him away, they send him out of the city, and and that means that he actually escapes from the danger that's going to come to him in that moment. And it's helpful then, as we read this psalm, that we understand that these three verses were, were written about a time in David's life that was a low point, a very, very low point. And so don't mistake this for David in one of the high points in his life. So I want you to listen again, just verse 1 with this in mind. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This bless, this, this bowed down, this praise to the Lord, no matter what is going on in his life. And that's the same message we hear in Ephesians 5.20 in the New Testament, uh, where we're told to be giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, this continual love and praise for God, no matter what the situations are. Uh, In verse 2 of Psalm 34, it it speaks of our souls boasting in the Lord. And and this boasting in the Lord is an absolute contrast to the other things that we might be tempted to boast in, Uh, things that we might wish to outwardly um, brag about. Uh, proclaim about it and Jeremiah 9 and 24 God is speaking and he says this along the same lines he says let not the wise man boast in his wisdom let not the mighty man boast in his might let not the rich man boast in his riches but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight declares the Lord and so if we look through that, it's don't, don't boast in, in intellect. Don't boast in how strong you are. Don't boast in the money that you might have. No, boast in the Lord who has saved you. And so when you pray and God answers that prayer, speak of it to others. I think we forget to do that sometimes. You know, speak about the grace that we have received in Christ. Even when we find ourselves messing up royally, just to speak about the forgiveness that we know that we have in Christ. Or, or even when you're out and you see something amazing in creation, speak about these works of our Creator. Acknowledge that they are His. And verse 3 then tells us, O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. There's something really important here I want you to see. The, the psalmist begins by worshiping God. It's, he's individual. It's, a, it's alone. Only then does he invite others to do so with him. And when we're experiencing the mercy of of God, one of the natural responses we have is to want to invite others to do the same. That's just the way these things work. And so um, now I I think, or at least I I hope, that we all have people in our lives who we wish or we desire to to believe in God, to to know God, to worship God. That's a desire we have for them. Uh, Children, uh, grown-up parents, family members, neighbors, friends, co-workers... Uh, any category of that nature. And, and really this first question we need to be asking ourselves is not, how do I convince them to worship God? No, the first question we need to be asking is, am I worshiping God? Is that true of, of me? Because they, they need to see us worshiping God. Not, not necessarily here in corporate worship, although that's great too, but, but to hear us speak of God in ways that show that we are satisfied in God. Uh, to hear of our our love for God and our understanding of of God's love for us, to put that into words that they can see and hear. And and that's exactly what what David does in this this text. He worships God, and then he says, Come, come join me as we worship God. And then immediately on his lips is something wonderful about God. You know, follow along as I read verses 4 through 7 here. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. So, we tend to use this word sought, um, or the similar phrase looked for, whenever we've, we've lost something, we have no idea where it is, something like uh, I've lost my car keys, or uh, I've lost my phone, or I seem to have misplaced my sanity. Uh, things like that, where we just don't know where they are, and we're looking for them. And, and I find it interesting that the, the Hebrew word here for sought, uh, the one we read here, it is never used to search for someone or something where the location of that thing is unknown. He's not wondering where God is. He knows exactly where God is. What, what he's seeking is, is direction or or guidance from God. Uh, or even a restored relationship with God. It's the same way that, that you or I might might seek some wise person in our life or a wise friend, and we're seeking counsel or even restoration of the relationship with that friend. It's not that you don't know where they are, but you begin to seek them because you need you need that advice, that direction. Um, in this case, in the case of David, he he's sought God to remove those fears, and, and God does so. Uh, the practical outworking for, for me and you today, here in 2015, is that we, we seek God in the words of, of Scripture. We, we know where to find the Word of God. We, we know where it is. We know, and we need to go to it for direction, for knowing Him, for knowing how to proceed in life in and, and so many ways. And so that we, we seek guidance uh, in the Word for, for restoration of the relationship with God or with others. Uh, that statement in verse 5 then about radiant faces and, and not being ashamed to uh, <clears throat> ashamed speaks to our finding what we need in God. Uh, in verse 6, the poor man is, is David. He's actually referring to himself, and it's, it's not something we think of because we know later in David's life he becomes very rich no matter what category you use for rich. Um, and yet at this moment... He's not at all. He's incredibly poor. David has absolutely nothing. He's absolutely alone. Saul, who he looked up to, is trying to kill him. His best friend Jonathan is far away. He has no army. He has no food, no home. Um, He's having to act like a crazy person just to try to keep his life and and, and to keep from getting killed. He has absolutely nothing. And and, and that's why this psalm is, is so wonderful for anyone who feels some aspect of being the poor man or the poor woman. Not just financially, but also in all the other treasures of of life, community and relationally in regards to even just hope. Any low point in life you might find yourself. Did you also notice the order of events here? It begins with fears and and troubles, uh, and then there is prayer, and then finally there is deliverance. The scripture says the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all of his troubles, I mean, let that be a model for us, that that when there is trouble, that we cry out to God in prayer, that we seek refuge in the Lord and wait for him to deliver. In verse 7, then we read, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. See, this is one of the ways that God actually works to deliver his people, and, and really we may never know about it if that's the way he works. In Daniel 6.22, Daniel is thrown into the den of of lions. It's a bunch of, you know, hungry lions. The plan is that these lions will eat you. And and when what is expected to happen doesn't happen and these lions do not eat him um, and and Daniel's not eating, he he comes out and he's speaking to the king, the very man who threw them in there, and he says, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me. See, God could have done it any way he wants. But he does so by sending his angels. He does so by, by sending these messengers to protect Daniel and That's God still working. Uh, And so before we move to his next section, I want to give you some realistic expectations about this. uh, And and to do so, because in the psalm, everything happens immediately. Um, It happens quick. However, in David's life, that's not the way this actually happened. See, after he cried to God, his life was pretty much the same. Saul was still seeking to kill him after he cried to God, and he was still alone, and he was still at this low point in his life. He still didn't know if or how God might deliver him, but he was alive, and God brought him out of Gath, and where he should have been killed, only slowly did God actually change the circumstances in his life, and I point that out for in the hope that we'll be steadfast in the Lord when the answers feel delayed, when our life doesn't change as quickly as we want it to change, as quickly as we expect it to change, That we understand even in this psalm as we see that change, it's happening slowly. We might wait on God. But that we don't stop crying out to God. crying out to him for for deliverance. And so be steadfast in your prayers. Be be consistent in your your worship of him, even in those moments of the low points. Uh, Verse 8, then, is is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Uh, Follow along. I'll read verses 8 through 10, and and then we'll kind of work through that. He says, uh, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. See, verse 8 often reminds me uh, of that sense that, um, symbolically, not actually, that that sense of munching on cold, soggy french fries. That's gross, right? Uh, All the while knowing that wonderful food has been made available to me. Uh, see, food's one of those experiences in, in life that we, we naturally want to invite other people into. Um, you know, every time I, if someone new comes to Manhattan and we get to talk to them, I, I almost always tell them about two places in town, and you probably already know the two places I'm going to mention. Varsity Donuts, The Chef, that's a good one too, um, and Taco Lucha, actually. Um, I'm obsessed with those two places. <laughs> And I'm not the only one who does this, because now Kristen's telling us about the chef, which we'll have to try out, um, which is very good, by the way. Um, And and even this week, we were learning yesterday about Tad's, uh, Tad's, what are they, snow cones, and just how amazing these are. Uh, It's one of those things that we find over and over again, when when it comes to food, people just want to tell you about these places. You need to go there, you need to eat there. Maybe it's that fear that if you don't, it'll close and we won't get to eat it, but, but it's this obsession to just share this with other people. Um... It gives us joy, and we want others to have this joy as well. And and here we see David is is sharing his love of God's goodness that he has tasted. You see, he wants others to be satisfied in God just as he has been satisfied in God. And so so he also says that that we see that the Lord is good, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, our eyes love to look at beauty, And, and there's a proper way to do that. I know Laura well enough to know that this will embarrass her a little. That's okay. She already knows I'm going to say this. Uh, but it's true, and it illustrates scripture well. When I first saw her when I was in college, I was, I was hanging out with a, her roommate and a, and a good friend of mine, and, and she was a waitress at a place. And we walked in this place, and we met her, and, and I just thought she was absolutely beautiful. Um, and, and I just kept wanting to look at her. Not in the creepy way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but really, I, I hope you've experienced in, in your life that uh, not lust, but, but joy and observing beauty that just causes that spontaneous smile that you can't even hide if you want to. Um, because that's what happens when we taste and we see that the, that the Lord is good. And, and some often might think, you know, I've, I've tasted and I've seen God and I don't like it. I mean, that's one of those things that comes to mind when you hear this, is that, that God is boring or that God is judgmental or, or, or irrelevant. And, and, and I'll challenge you in this. If, if that's the case, either you don't have taste buds or you've likely tasted something other than the Lord, something you've attributed as the Lord, which is not the Lord. And so I'll tell you that the best way to truly taste and the best way to truly see that the Lord is good is, is to read and to meditate in the Word of God, the Scriptures. Psalm 119, 103, um, in in this, the word of God is compared to food. And it says this, it says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The end of verse 8 then and verse 9 tell us that the person who takes refuge in God will be blessed and and she will lack nothing. And so let me ask you this, how how do you quantify the blessings of God in your life? And I ask this because I, I wonder if the is, answer isn't something along the lines of, um, I get the job that I want. That's the blessings of God. Uh, I, I get this amazing spouse. That's the blessings of God. Or I, I get children, and they're healthy. Or I get financial security, or I'm well-respected in the community, or, or I'm blessed because we have this national security that allows us to meet and, and worship freely in this country. I think even as a church community, we, can, we might think of God's blessing and that we're growing numerically or we're reaching financial stability or, or that we get this building. And so let me confirm, those are blessings of the Lord. Absolutely, those are blessings of God. Um, but that's not the only way that God might bless us. A few summer ago, summers ago, I was preaching to the, the gospel of John just on the miracles of Jesus through them, and in John 9, Jesus was asked this difficult question, um, These people wanted to know if if this blind man that was there among them, if this blind man was born blind uh, because of his own sin or because of the sin of his parents. Uh, In other words, this this question of, why didn't God bless this man? Whose fault is this? And and in John 9, 3, we we learn Jesus' answers. He, He says this, he says, It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I mean, do you see that? Do you see what's happening here? Being blind would have been a very difficult life. But it was also a blessing of God. Not one that's obvious, but it was a blessing of God. It was a blessing because it serves as part of the way that God would bless him eternally. When, when the blind man was finally given sight by a miracle that Jesus performed in his life, he didn't just see the world around him. He saw Jesus who was standing before him, and, and not just as a man who gave him sight, but as a, a Savior who would save him. And and so, yes, I think in our lives we need to be thanking God for the blessings of homes that we live in, thanking God for food in our bellies, for refreshing vacations, for, for good health, for all those things, because they absolutely are blessings of God. But but also be looking for the less obvious ways that God is, is, is graciously blessing you in your life. And... You know, Typically, it's, it takes hindsight to, to be able to see these specific blessings um, that God has given us through our trials. But, but I'll challenge you, even if you don't know exactly what it is, if you don't know exactly what God is doing, the way He is blessing you, uh, I challenge you to, to, to thank God for whatever He is doing as you find yourself going through these trials. Because you may never know where the blessings are, but, but it's there, and we know it's there, because in Romans 8, 28, God tells us, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So now look again, uh, verse 10. The young lion here is a statement just reminding us that we are not self-sufficient. That was the thing with young lions. They could not provide for themselves. The the solution to that is not try harder, um, but to seek God with with what we need and and to trust him to provide what we actually need. Um, Need being an important term there. Uh, And then in, in verses 11 through 14, we we see this is really, this is a pretty interesting passage in regards to what it means to fear God. Uh, let's just read verses 11 and 12 first. Um, they say, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? So fear of God in, in Scripture, actually, we, we see this in a couple of different ways. And, and often it's this sense of, of awe, awe. Um, just a sense of amazement of who God is, of how grand he is, mighty he is, and etc. Um, but other times, it's this flat-out terror uh, at the power and the holiness of God. Uh, you know, that holiness of God that leaves us knowingly, uh, knowing that we are just worthy of nothing but condemnation between, before him. Here, though, we, we see a different aspect of, of fear. Fear. Uh, A third way that we are to fear God, here it's not an emotion of awe. Here it's not a feeling of of terror. Rather, it's a a movement of of action. So the bottom line here is that the fear of God involves obedience as a response. If, If we truly understand God's power and dominion and sovereignty, we also understand His commands aren't suggestions. They can't be. Uh, they're commands designed to bring Him glory as well as to bring us joy. And so our fear of God is observable in our actions. Not always our success at obedience, but our desire for ob- obedience, our pursuit of obedience. And, and, and this also ties back to this previous section because, in a sense, the way to taste and see that the Lord is good is in is obedience to God. um, following His word in that regard. See, the temptation that we face, the temptation that we daily face is to believe the lie that enjoyment is found outside the will of God rather than inside the will of God. See, this is, this is the very thing that motivated the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. And it's been repeated ever since as, as man and woman continue to wrongly believe that happiness and joy can be best obtained by disobeying God, that somehow we are missing out. Brothers and sisters, know that that true joy does indeed lie inside the will of God. Taste and see. Verses 13 and 14 then give an example of of an action that accompanies true fear of God. Uh, Verses, uh, they read, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and and pursue it. See, in the first verse of the psalm, we're told that David will consistently, constantly speak praise of God. And now we see that our response to God should include speaking truth and, and instead of evil. It should also include the action of uh, where we move towards what is good and away from what is evil and uh, as we are actively pursuing peace as well uh, with others. These, these are simple ways that we fear God, that we show that actual act of um, action, verb of fearing God. And then in verses 15 to 18, we... Uh, gives us insight into God's favor. And I want you to notice this. Notice that the the contrast of those who God listens to and those whom God will not hear. Uh, Verses 15 through 18. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. We tend to think that, that God hears everyone, and, and he does, uh, at least in the sense that he knows what they're actually saying. It's, it's a situation here, though, is like a kindergarten teacher who says, um, I'll only call on you if you're sitting quietly with your hand raised. She hears the other students shouting out, but, but she's only going to actively listen and respond to the one who's obeying her words in this case. And I know that when we hear this, it, it doesn't sit right with us didn't sound right to even say that God might act that way but 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 this might be because this is a place where um what should happen in our idea is is that our idea of God changes because of what scripture says rather than the other way around unless we think that God is not listening to some people uh, and unless we think that that makes him cold I want you to notice in verse 18 that that God is near to the brokenhearted okay um which certainly includes those who have sinned, to those who have sinned in huge ways and know it and are broken by it. See, it tells us that, uh, it's like God tells us in Psalm 51, 17, where he says, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so God even, God will never turn away from someone who is truly repenting. But if you're walking in, in evil and you don't care, that's an absolute different story. And that's one of the things we see here in this, in this text. Uh, the main thing I want you to notice here, though, is, is something even different. Uh, I want you to notice that the righteous suffer. They do suffer. See, you might obey God well, um, and you might find that terrible tragedy comes into your life anyway. Uh, he says in verse 18 that, that he's near the brokenhearted. Not that he keeps them from becoming the brokenhearted, Uh, James Montgomery Boyce said it this way. He said, deliverance is one thing, exemption from trouble is another. So the the last four verses then here are are messianic, and that just means that they they point to Christ, Uh, which raises the question, do the psalmist know that he was writing about Christ at this moment? And and the answer is not likely. And yet after Jesus is resurrected, Jesus walks on the road with his disciples, and in Luke 24, 27, he says that, uh, it tells us that he explains the, these Old Testament scriptures to them. And he says, they spoke of me. And he explained in what ways it it did this. Uh, The text in Luke says, "...and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself." So with that in, in mind, I want you to follow along as I read verse 19 to the end of the psalm. It says, "...many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken." affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned the Lord redeems the life of his servants none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned that verse uh, verse 20 is actually quoted in John nineteen thirty-six, which reads for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled not one of his bones will be broken uh, and that's that's talking about Christ on the cross, because it's, it's fulfilled when, when Jesus is crucified on the cross, and, and yet not a single one of his bones were broken, which is actually a very rare thing to happen in the, in the act of crucifixion. In uh, verse 21, it's ambiguous how affliction will slay the wicked. Most likely, their wicked actions will also be the cause of their own downfall. Uh, By not fearing God, and so not turning from evil, and and not turning towards Christ in faith, they they heap divine judgment on their own shoulders. Their downfall. Verse 22 tells us something about the gospel. It says, uh, The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This points to our ultimate uh, deliverance uh, from eternal punishment, that we have gained for ourselves. That's what we've earned. And and this points to a Savior, to the the Savior, whom we know by the name of Jesus Christ. The only hope that we have for escaping eternal eternal condemnation is is to take refuge in Jesus Christ. And the reason that will work is that Jesus was condemned on our behalf. And so then we're united to Christ by grace through faith, and that's that's how we take refuge in, in God. When we partake in the Lord's Supper this, this evening, here in a few minutes, that's the refuge that we are confessing that we have taken—not in ourselves, not in our own goodness, but in the Holy One of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so now I want to close by going back to verse eight. I told you I, I love this verse, and so it's actually one that over the years I've thought on very much and comes up in my mind very often. It says, "Taste and see that the Lord is is good." And I mentioned earlier that we do this by, by being in God's holy word, and I think we all kind of know that. Like, we know that's what we're supposed to do, and and yet, so often we, we fail to act on that, to, to really do that. Um, and, and I can remember actually back when uh, when Berkeley was about two years old, and, and sometimes in the car she'd she'd start complaining that she was so thirsty. Um, I'm I'm so just just upset. I I need something to drink. Um, and, and that just desperate for something. And, and more times than not, we'd actually look back and squish between her leg and, and the car seat was her sippy cup full of water or, or milk or whatever it was. And, and we look at this and we think, see, her, her problem wasn't that she didn't have something to drink. Her problem was that she wasn't drinking the very thing she had been given to drink. Honestly, I'm that two-year-old so often. Maybe, maybe you are also. I'm, I'm complaining, God, why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel so distant from you? Why won't you feed me? And, and meanwhile, squished between me and my car seat is exactly what I need. I have like 20 Bibles in my house, and I've given a bunch away. I, and I know that they're full of nourishment, nourishment for my soul. And they're right there within, within reach for us. And I, and I mention that in the hope that you'll understand. I mean, in the word of God is where we're going to find that nourishment that we so desperately need. And, and so let us let us pray for resolve. You know, to stop complaining and, and instead to drink from the nourishing word that God has provided us and provided us in our own language. Let us pray. Lord, may we cry out to you with All our troubles. May we trust in you for deliverance, no matter how big or small those troubles might seem. God, would you give us taste buds so that we might truly taste and see that you are good, such that your praise is continually on our lips, that we might with all sincerity call others to join us in worship of you because you are worthy. God, you are wonderful. God, thank you for loving us, not only as your creation, but through the gospel as your children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.